0: This is Art Class, and it's about to begin. Please take your seats. This is the Lake Forest Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast, a podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and history. My name is Pete, and I'm joined by co-host, Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller. But before we start our class, we have a sponsor for the show, Dakota Insurance Group, They've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Dakota Insurance Group handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs. Get it's quote now at DakotaInsuranceGroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is for listeners to learn just a little bit more about Lake Forest. Well, who better to teach us about Lake Forest history than our own Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller? Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands, put them on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin. Hey, Art, how you been? I've been just great. How about you? Whew, finally we got back from our tour bus. Our uh, <laughs> parked it, put away for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's getting cold. So we're back inside for uh, for class. What you got in store for us?
0: So I thought I would try to help sort it out for people that live in Lake Forest about where the different kinds of historic districts that we have we have national districts we have local districts the districts have different names and then we have national landmarks and local landmarks sort them through that and maybe mention kind of how some of that um, especially the landmark ones came about mostly since uh, 1998 when there was a change in the ordinance does that sound good
1: that sounds good. What happened with the order ordinance in 1998? I wasn't here.
0: Okay, well, going back, there's been planning all through the 20th century, getting more and more structured. But there were beginning to be challenges to the legality of some of the, the things that people were requiring. So the lake, the city of Lake Forest had re, redid an ordinance for, historic, for uh, historic properties, for historic districts that would better implement management uh, stru- uh, sort of shaping what the historic districts would do as they changed um evolved lake forest wasn't nobody wanted it to be a museum where nothing changed but they wanted to be able to manage how that change took place and so the ordinance put up about 17 different kinds of criteria that are used to evaluate different kinds of Changes that people might want to make within a district, in a historic district, that was um, a local historic district.
1: So this would be like over by the library and whatnot?
0: Yeah. And so look, controversies going on over in that direction have to do with the first original Lake Forest in mid-70s, the Lake Forest, um, they call it the Lake Forest Historic District. It was, uh, it started at Market Square and and the train station. But it mostly went east, over to the lake, and then up to the cemetery, and that area on Lake Road, and then down down along Illinois Road, and that sort of thing. To that, it, it gerrymandered around some of the support community housing, um, which might have been controversial a little bit. But basically, they were trying. They were recognizing that in the period, uh, especially from a, you know the period 1860 to uh, probably around 1930, you had this major um, estate building that went on here that was pretty durable. Um, The houses were built to last and they were, and we're talking mostly about houses. They were originally, Lake Forest was started out as a millionaire's community. So they they were impressive mansions from the early days. And then in the, after the 1893 World's Fair, they became very much much more formal and um, permanent, uh, made out of masonry and things like that rather than wood frame. Uh, After the Wednesday Club was started in 1895, the Wednesday Club members built there along on the east side. And then they also built up and down Green Bay Road. So by 1995, there was another historic district uh, for Green Bay Road created. And there was a small national Register district south of downtown with um, Oakwood and Vine and a little bit of North Green Bay, Bay Road that was more um, smaller community buildings that were put up at that time. In 1998, when they passed that ordinance, they took in all of these districts into a, and made them local districts that were managed by the 17 criteria. If someone wanted to make an alteration to their place, if they had an historic place or any place in the place in the in the districts, they had to go to the uh, city and to the historic preservation commission to have that those changes reviewed. And there, um, for instance, there's a con- if you had a house that was an old house that was maybe built in 1880 and it was pretty much as it had been. It was called a consider- considered a contributing structure for the district. If you had a house that was built in 1880, but you put a big uh, different front on this on, the, on it, so that it looked entirely different, that was considered a non-contributing structure. Also, if in your front yard you sold it off and somebody put up a house in 1928 or 58, uh, that was non-contributing all those different kinds of places had different kinds of importance to people as they went ahead. Mostly it was to protect the the historic contributing structures and to govern also the ones around them so that they didn't obliterate those more important places or or crowd them, be bigger than, or anything like that. So that uh, those places stood out. That almost sort of set off also a generation of writing books about the places that were there so that um, a whole bunch of of, of volumes, coffee table books and other books about the houses and their gardens, probably a shelf of 15 or 20 books came out in the next 20 years, 20, 25 years that have helped explain why those places are significant. Green Bay Road, Uh, east side of Lake Forest and and behind Green Bay Road streets like on Wencia Road Laurel Avenue a few things like that those streets had had places on it Pembroke Road I think is another one that has a historic house on it that used to be considered Green Bay Road that was really what was um, behind those people get confused and they make jokes about it in places like Winnetka, like there's a joke about the woman who moved to Winnetka from Lake Forest and she wanted to change the doorknob in her front door. And she called the city of or the village of Winnetka offices and said, I want to change my doorknob. Who do I talk to? And they went, huh? You know, so <laughs> it's, it's a local joke, a local joke. Okay. <laughs> in Lake Forest, what it amounts to is that if you're going to change, alter your place, they want to confer with you about it so that it it maintains its basic historic character. Another little additional factor of this is, oh, oh probably by now, a 100 or so houses in Lake Forest have given facade easements. You know what those are? What so are those, Art? So, so facade easements means that you can um, work with an organization like Landmarks Illinois, which is a preservation outfit that will take over custodianship of the way your, the outside of your house looks, they will then, in exchange for that, that's giving them property, in effect. You're giving them part of your property, and you get, supposing you just cashed in all your chips on all the money you made on GameStop and everything last year, <laughs> and your taxes look pretty rough, you can take in a one-swell foop, you know, tax deduction for, this, for giving away this, this easement on your property. Now the trouble is, if you decide that you've got historic windows from from like 1892 on your house, and in and after a couple years after you did this, you would like to change those to plastic window frames or fiberglass or something else or aluminum, the owner of that facade easement will go, no way. They will say you can't make that change because you agreed to leave your house in that outer part, or a part that's seen mostly by the public. You're going to leave. You agreed to leave that unchanged and to maintain it as it was. So you could have. You could be unhappy if what you found out later. For things that are really practical, they usually will work with people. Like there was a very important house in town that was subdivided in the 1950s. I think they subdivided the garage. Off, or the, the carriage house off from the main house. And that left the people with no garage or just a little dinky garage. So the people wanted to add a new garage that was a little bit more appropriate to their house and maybe even connected a little bit to the house. Well, they had trouble. They went with one architect it didn't work. They went with it. Finally, they found an architect who worked with the people that owned the facade easement, the Landmarks Illinois. And they came up with a suitable appropriate way to do that um, but it takes a little more work around that so you have the, the, the national register local register district local register being governed by these 17 points of scale style materials things like that and then you if you have a facade easement which many of the most important places now do then you would also be working with those people to make changes a lot of people coming to Lake Forest know that they're buying an old house. There's one that's going to be on the cover of the Lake Forest Preservation Foundation's periodical that goes out to all the householders next week, I think, or next couple of weeks. It's got a house on it. The people bought the house. There had been previous owner who put a facade easement on it, and they just remodeled the inside of it, did some maintenance work on the outside of it, but didn't change the look of what it had been before. So, New people coming in are realizing that this is part of what you do when you get one of these old Lake Force houses. It's like buying a listed house in Great Britain or something like that, where it's protected by um, structures that uh, uh, the government or somebody oversees. In this case, it's, not, it's a combination of government oversight and then this not-for-profit landmarks, Illinois oversight. So that's kind of what it is. Now, what, what's the advantage of doing this? Now, the disadvantage is obvious. you got to, if you, if you want to change something, you got to work through a bunch of people. The advantage is your neighbor also has to work through all these people before he changes it. All of a sudden, he's not going to put a Ferris wheel up next to your house.
1: Um, our, that's, can, can I ask a question in class? Yeah, 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 sure. Go ahead. I'm on the caucus committee, and our job is to recruit people for the various boards. And one of the positions we're looking to fill is uh, the HPC is that part of these people that you're talking about? The historical. Yeah, a, okay.
0: A people. And they're, they come from a combination of people who know a lot, have served on different boards, like the new chairman, the, the interim chairman, who's Maureen Grinnell. She's been on both the, uh, or I guess her husband's been on the Historical Society board. She's been on the Ragdale Foundation board, which maintains an old, some old buildings over on Upper Green Bay Road. And she's been on the Lake Forest Preservation Foundation Board. So she knows all this stuff as well as anybody in town. And there are other people, there are a couple other people on the board who do also. Then there are maybe newer ones who don't know as much. And you're, what they're assuming is that if you live in Lake Forest, you kind of have a sense of what looks good here. And if somebody tells you, you know, like it's on Sesame Street, um, they used to have these things. Um, where they would have like four things in a row, and which of these things does not look like the others? <laughs> if you could pass Sesame Street, you can probably intuitively sort out a lot of these kind of things. So if, I,
1: if, so if I want new doorknobs, do I have to go to Sesame Street? Like, what's the. No, pro- okay. Not a
0: doorknob. But if you, let's say you wanted to change your entry in some way. Okay. Um, they would probably try to keep have you keep it as much as it is in its historic character. I'm not sure they'd notice a doorknob, but they, you know, they don't want to have people making kind of renovations on the front of their house when it's an important historic house that was done by an architect,
1: so that sort of thing.
0: There's a level of um, common sense about what
1: you bring to them and what you don't bring to them. Okay. But who decides what goes in front of them and just... Curious. You
0: call it if you're if you're in doubt, you would call the city department of, of uh development. Okay. And you'd tell them what you want to do. If let's say you just wanted to do maintenance on your front porch or something like that, uh they would say, you know, okay, or you're gonna change the way it looks. Well, we'll talk about let's talk about it a little bit, you know, and maybe then it would go to the historic Pre- preservation commission. Okay. Um, but if you're keeping things pretty much the same, I'm not sure that that would happen. If you wanted to repaint, in the old days with these fancy houses that were built, 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, they hired an architect when they had their house painted to make sure it was done right. They had, Everything was over- An architect by for painting? Yeah, because they didn't want some Yahoo to screw it up. Okay. They were works of art. They were built as works of art. And that's where you come to the basic point about these things being protected. They were built as art objects, but they were exterior surface art objects, interior art objects. And that's the problem with the library. And for people in town especially that know about it, the building is an art object. It's um, something that's um, very rare for its type. And its interiors and its, um, and its exteriors, and, the preserv- and most of these, the preservation Historic Preservation Commission only looks at the exteriors, doesn't deal with interiors. Uh, it's all about the exterior. So you could um, gut the inside of your house and turn it into a big birdhouse if you wanted to, as long as it, <laughs> you know as long as it looked the same on the outside from the streetscape. Because the, the concern is the historic streetscapes as we drive along the, air, the streets, that everything is, is compatible. Compatible is another word for harmony, visual harmony, which was um, something, one of the values of the, the period, kind of classical harmony. Now the different ones we have, as I said, was the East District, the Oakwood District, And then uh, later was added the Green Bay Road District. That Green Bay Road District, it also had some houses that were built um, in the 30s and stuff and later, some even in the 40s and 50s that would now be covered. After something is 50 years old, it becomes historic and it can be a contributing structure. Before it's 50 years old, it's not historic and it might be going to be contributing, but it's not yet contributing. Um, I think there might be one or two exceptions in town where they, they granted contributing status to a place that wasn't as old, but because of its significance. But that's pretty rare. Most of the time they wait for 50 years. The HPC deals with those kinds of, of issues. Now, after that, also some, issues, some districts were added that were national registered districts they worked through the state to create them as districts, um, but they didn't, um, the, the constitutional thing that didn't turn them into being a, a, an actual national registered district. The, the, a key one I'll notice there is the West Park District. That's around West Park, which is on Green Bay Road. And that Vendorn designed a neighborhood to the east of that on the old Adderidge Farm from 1830, that he um, had a lot of builder's houses. He didn't design the houses; he laid out the streets. Um, but they're all pretty much of a type and of a period, around 19 no, 1907 to 12, with some infill later. But basically, that was that was. But then, when they put when they had it put it to a vote to all the people in the district, 95 percent of them wanted it to be a historic district. But there was a former mayor that lived in the neighborhood who did not want it to be an historic district. And out of deference to that mayor, the city would not vote on it to make it that way. Now, it's still, even though it's a National Registered District, it's still, then because of that, it's still, um, people have respected it a great deal. There hasn't been anything unfortunate happen inside that district since that became a National Registered District. But it's not protected in the same way. That the, that the ones inside the historic districts are. It doesn't have the same level of review. Um, so now if you want to see some of the ways that things are different, along the lakefront, for instance, these houses that were built first along the lakefront, there probably were a bunch of wooden places that were built. Well, being close to the lake, wooden places rot out super fast, as my folks found out that owned one on the other side of the lake. No. <laughs> They didn't last really that long. A lot of them would last just maybe even 20 to 50 years, something like that. And so a lot of those houses along the bluff in the historic district are the second or third house that were built on their sites. But they were built to be permanent. They decided no more of this cheap materials on the exterior. We're going to build these things like forts. The famous house at 1315 North uh, Lake Road. Um, it's a kind of mica stone with little shiny stones. And you look at the rocks that are there, Pennsylvania-style colonial house. Um, that's, that's a mere cottage. It's 34,000 square feet. Um, you could probably find rooms for your stuff in there. Some. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, that house, you know, that's been there since 1931. And um, it's really solid, but that's an example of one of the permanent houses that were built. There are a few frame houses still surviving near the lake. One is at two fifty five North Mayflower Road. It's, you, you can't really see it from the road, but it's an early Howard Van Dorn Shaw, eighteen ninety seven or so, ninety eight Colonial Revival house. It's been carefully restored a couple times. Um, but let's say that um, it's not the cheapest building to maintain um, because it's frame. Most of the ones that are lasting are having, you know, they're having a lot of masonry on them someplace or another, you know. And mm-hmm. so David Adler, Harry T. Lindberg, uh Howard Van Doren Shaw, Walter Fraser, who was another one of those architects from that period. These are the kind of architects who mostly built those buildings. Um, Stanley Anderson built some. Um, so these are major architects, national, national Howard Vindoran and Shaw was the first um, architect to be to be recipient of the gold medal of the American Institute of Architects, um, first Midwestern architect, I should say. Um, in 1926, 27, he got that. Um, before then, it had always been East Coast guys. The first one to have a practice in, in Chicago, Midwest. David Adler was declared at a in an art for an article in a book about the exhibit at the Art Institute on David Adler in 2002 that he was the leading architect of his generation, which was a little after Shaw. So I mean, these were people who were nationally the top figures in their era, and so these houses have been protected, and that doesn't mean that they don't still get their alterations made. One of Shaw's houses is under. I think under construction now to take it back to a little bit more like what it looked like when Shaw had built it a hundred years ago or 105 years ago, something like that. So there's a lot of that sort of thing goes on, but it, it explains some of the brouhaha about what's been going on at the far Eastern end of that district where there's been discussions and people back and forth about what's going to go into the historic district, you know, how that's going to be changed, the addition on the library, a building just north of there that's been under discussion. So this is, this is the um, concern, that people want to follow those 17 points and respect the buildings around them, to uh, respect the historic structures around them with whatever goes on. So nothing is ever crystal clear, so there's often discussion about it. Often things will go in for a hearing with the people. There'll be a review. They'll talk it over. And then they will um, maybe come up with some suggestions and ask the people to come back the next time. And sometimes these come back two or three times before they're approved. It sounds arcane to some people. It sounds ridiculous. Um, It also builds in a lot of value to whatever gets built. If you're renovating a home versus building a new one, a lot of the cost, regardless of it's historic or not, is in the architectural planning, not just in the materials, because you need to plan it so that it'll work for your house. Uh, So there's a lot of architectural work involved in making it work. And as subdivisions take place, and the places fill in, usually, too, the last house built, It's got the toughest job because it's got all the other ones it's got to fit in with. If you're the first one in in a group of houses, you know, nobody really minds too much. But if you're the last guy, you know, you get in
1: trouble. So, Art, if you have HPC, you have planning, and you have zoning.
0: What are the differences?
1: Yeah. How does that all play together? I don't expect you have all the answers. I'm just curious.
0: Well, zoning review, there's the zoning review board. The plan commission would probably come up with the basic zoning ideas. Each part of town would have a type of assignment, whether it's a how big of a lot for a residential place, whether it's a two-family place, a small residential, medium-sized residential. These are all set aside. And then in each case, they would also have a setback. And the zoning people get involved a lot. The zoning review board gets involved a lot. On the setbacks, because people will feel crowded in the space that's allotted for development on their property. How close they're going to be to their neighbor.
1: What, what the is morning. the setback art?
0: Setback would be if you let's say you own a property that's a uh, hundred by 75 feet. Well, on those sides that are the hundred, you might have a setback of 10 feet. At the front of the house, the 75, you might have a setback of 50 feet or 40 feet or something like that. So if you want to wiggle into those other spaces with construction, you have to go to the the zoning review board. Now they're governed by state law and they're pretty tough. Uh, They have, they're simply, and it's much more of a legal sounding thing. You have to be sworn in to testify at it. But the plan commission sets up initially what are the overall ground rules for how the things are gonna be distributed? Not the design of what the buildings are gonna look like, but how you know, how much um, de- scale of development, how much uh, space there's gonna be around it, that sort of thing. And one of the things that's unique about Lake Forest as you go north on the, on the North Shore as we saw was that there's a lot more open space around buildings And just on the roadways, on the streetscapes, as you drive in Lake Forest, as you drive in, you don't see hardly anything until you get onto Sheridan Road or you get into downtown Lake Forest. It's mostly, you're mostly running along uh, wooded portions of the street. You don't see much at all. It's behind that that you have the developments um, and things like that. West Lake Forest, even more so. One way you can see the difference between what it means to have the protected area on the east side on the lakefront and not is to go south of the protected area in Lake Forest. There you would go out on Wesley Road, probably. If you go Wesley Road, clear over to toward the lake, on the north of that, there is something called Bluff's Edge Road. You can go down Bluff's Edge Road, and there are a bunch of places facing the lake. Almost all of those houses have been torn down in the last 10 years, and replaced. Now I'm not going I'm not commenting about whether the house before was any good or if the house that's going up is better or worse. That's not the point. They're different. They're entirely different. Um, there's one house that was built on a subdivision. That's all part of the former Walden estate of Cyrus McCormick. There's one house where there's an overlook that there was for that estate. It's got a house for the 1962 on there. And that's been added to, but it's been added to fairly sympathetically. Otherwise, it's been just smash and start over. If you go south of that, on Circle Lane, you go, Circle Lane um, starts out without really having a lakefront. There's there's an estate or two there. But then you go curling down and you go to near where the old Villa Turicum house was. And there are one, two, three houses that have been torn down and replaced In the last at least 15 years, I would say, if not 10 years, 15 years, uh, they've been completely smashed and and started up again. There was, in one place, they tore down in about 2010, a 1998 masonry house that I gave a speech in, in a living room that would hold 110 people. So that lakefront land is a premium, you know. (laughs) It was amazing. 100 people built in 1988, and they just, boom, gone. So those rules are much less strict about those kind of landscapes there along in the Southern part. And that would have happened to some extent a whole bunch more up that lake shore. And so lake forest historic, the feeling what you get if you drive down Lake Road or something like that, that would be gone if we hadn't put in that, if that district hadn't gone in. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't have been great houses but this, these really solid places from when they were built as art objects, not just as big houses, but as art objects, they would all be lost. That's the bottom line. If you drive down Green Bay Road and you see the places on Green Bay between Wesley and, let's say, up at the city line and up at Lake Bluff, you see a whole bunch of places that were built in that period that are um, really pretty significant. And they're turning over now. Uh, people are buying them. I think the Two Gables, the Mr. T house is just sold, I heard. Um, yeah. People want these places. The people from outside of here think they're tremendous bargains. They're coming from you know, the coast where a house like that would cost 25 million or so, and they're picking them up for five or 10 million. And they can't believe it. They're pinching themselves, you know. So um, they're great places for in the summertime, you know, great beach here in Lake Forest. So that's, that's basically the situation of these historic districts and why we have them, and how they're administered. We have a very small staff at the city that that works with people to um, make those things happen. They'll outsource historic studies sometimes on places if they don't, they're not sure what to do. But basically, it's a few city employees, a couple of folks that really manage the historic preservation commission, the plan commission. Zoning Review Board and the Building Review Board, which oversees in a less strict manner the houses outside the historic districts.
1: are these so, people that come in and buy up the properties? It's no secret that Lake Forest is, I don't say stringent, but I mean, you got a lot of hoops to go through. It's not a secret, right?
0: Well, and see, that's good because then people, you know, like if they make a joke about it in Winnetka, and yeah. somebody wants more space and they come up to Lake Forest, they've already heard. That They're careful up there. The advantages and the disadvantages are the same thing. I mean, you want to make a little change at your place, you got to do something. But your stupid neighbor next door or across the street, he's got to do the same thing. He can't encroach on you by building something taller or wider or funny looking.
1: Well, the people that are buying in and they and then they complain after they buy, they know that it's tough to get stuff done here, right? It shouldn't be a secret, well, right?
0: I'm assuming that most of these people that are in business, if they haven't heard the word due diligence someplace, yeah. you know, <laughs> in their business school career or something like that, you know, um, it wouldn't Fair take... have to really dig very deeply to find out this sort of stuff. And I, there, okay. so there are less and less of those people. There were more of them earlier, I would say, a decade or so ago, but now... Most people are coming up here, they know um, what, they're, what they're coming for. And they're coming for the protection and the privacy that you get here, you know, in those areas. People that go on to the boards and commissions are doing a great, they're protecting their community. The political notion, after the pandemic, when everybody's just had it, it's like I had a friend in college, in his room had a cockatoo that had been raised at Woolworths, the, the, the five and dime, you know? Yeah. That bird was very nervous, you know. He'd been (laughs) locked up in Wilbur's with kids poking through the thing and everything. He was the nervousest looking bird I ever saw, and that's what people are like after this pandemic. They've been caged, and people are poking them, and they're poking back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We gotta be free. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's a rough time, but if people will go onto these boards, um, there's a lot of pressure on on. All of us to maintain civility to make our points without being disrespectful or inconsiderate of other people. The volunteers are getting no funding out of it, but they're serving their community, they're protecting their community. We should give them our thanks.
1: And we need some more volunteers. We're looking for HPC people, Art. Pass the word.
0: I encourage people, and you shouldn't be worried that you don't understand everything at first. This is the little primer here. But it makes more sense as you get into it. And as you, you sit through a few meetings, you look at a few packets, At the first you know time you look at one of those packets, it's going to look like, because it, they come out every month about 120 pages. It's like reading, you know, oh, warranty. <laughs> After a while, you get so that you know where to go to see what you want to see. And bing, you know what you need to know. So people get better at reading that stuff. You just have to allow yourself a little patience and not be afraid that you'll make some mistakes or say something stupid at the front. You know, there is nothing stupid about being a private citizen who's volunteering to help people in your community and to maintain your community. And so you'll learn your ropes and you'll get in there. And I just encourage everybody who has the opportunity to accept an invitation to be on the HPC, and that they'll they'll benefit from it.
1: And if they want an invitation, Pete at LakeForestPodcast Say you want to get on, I will bring you in for interview. Exactly. Very good. Art, okay. right, thank you for making me just a little bit smarter about Lake Forest.
0: <laughs> uh, you know so much now, right?
1: <laughs> I am less dumb. <laughs>
0: to talk about oh,
1: this thank you Art thanks for listening to the Lake Forest Podcast please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook Instagram and follow us on Twitter let us know what you'd like to hear about in the upcoming shows again I'm Pete and can be reached at Pete at Lake Forest Podcast the link will be in the podcast notes on behalf of my co-host Arthur Miller we thank you for listening our class is now over ring the bell cue the band